This podcast is brought to you in part by Specialties. Are you in a band that wants merch, but you're not sure where to go? Are you looking for great quality and affordable pricing? Do you have a design that you'd like to put on a koozie for your favorite consumable beverage? How about office swag for your job or giveaway items for your events? Okay, you get the point. Look no further than special tees for all of your heart's printing desires. This is not my magnum opus listeners can act now and get 10% off your first order if you tell them could be better sent you. Visit their website at www.special-tees.com or use the link in the show notes to get the conversation started. You can even call ahead and visit their showroom to see the types of products they offer. Again, telling them could be better sent you via email, phone call, or carrier pigeon will get you that 10% off your first order. That's special-tees.com. Special Tees. If you haven't worked with them, they want to work with you. This is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be a part of the Could Be Better podcast network. We're passionate about creating and using these platforms to dive into topics such as exploring lo-fi, impulsive, small, and otherwise overlooked artworks and creative practices, what happened in the world this week and how to laugh through or at it, and hearing stories from musicians from all walks of life. Check out these podcasts, Could Be Better, This Is Not My Magnum Opus, and The Weekly with Kiki, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit couldbebettermeh.com slash podcasts in the show notes to see the current shows on the Could Be Better podcast network. Come join us as we discover more about ourselves, the community around us, and maybe even something worth sharing. Or not. Now, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to This Is Not My Magnum Opus, a podcast about small and lo-fi artworks, creative practice, and what it means to be an artist. I'm your host, Nicole Ringel, and I'm here with my partner and producer, Spencer Newcomb. Hello, Nicole Ringel. (laughs) Hey, Spencer. (laughs) How you doing? I'm okay. How are you doing? I'm doing okay as well. All right. You got your ups, you got your downs. (laughs) Sometimes you're doing okay. Okay uh, is good. Okay is good. So um, just in case this is your first episode, um, so each week on this podcast, we talk with an artist about artworks that are not a magnum opus or life's work as a way to witness and discuss the building blocks of their creative practice and their relationship to creativity, making, and expression. So really, um, we kind of like to zoom in on little moments to kind of think about creative practice as a whole. Yeah. So this week, um, we're sharing a conversation with Jillian Abir McMaster. Uh, Jillian is a Palestinian-American uh, photographer from Frederick, where we're recording mm-hmm. this conversation right now. Um, if you listen to a couple of episodes, you'll probably sense that that's where we're based out <laughs> of, um, which is a rich territory of <laughs> context. Sure. Um, Artistry in a small town. Yeah, so Jillian holds a BFA in photography from Shepherd University in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, and her practice um, is really, um, you know, it has a lot of different branches to it, but we focus on uh, her practice as a portraiture uh, photographer. Yeah, and then I think like later on in the interview, you guys talk about her like more curatorial um, aspects. Yeah, so she's one um, example of an artist who 
you know, has a practice as a maker, as a creative, that then also, you know, expands into kind of the organizer role Mm -hmm. or, um, you know, the kind of, yeah, cultural organizer, um, community focused action. Right. As well. Yeah, it can be fun to be on both sides of that, both like uh, being an artist uh, who wants to be a part of shows or show their work and then also be the one who puts on the show. Like it's, it's cool to be on both sides. Yeah. Because I think also like as an artist operating in this day and age in our culture that kind of chronically under supports the arts, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, if you're an artist, you see all sorts of problems to solve right. um, in the world. And that doesn't mean that there aren't like things to celebrate as well. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think if you're a creative in a place, you see the opportunity to be creative, to like fill a need Mm -hmm. in the world. And so, you know, that can kind of, um, you know, push you into the role where you make the opportunities that you in fact want to have. Right, right. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I think that's true of Jillian too. Yes. Yeah, she has a a good energy about her. Um, I did want to mention that this, this was the first interview that you and I recorded. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, us doing a podcast together is a whole new thing. And this was the first, this was the first thing, or let me take that back. This was the second thing that we recorded. Mm-hmm. The first thing that we recorded was just the two of us talking, mm-hmm. uh, just to try to get the nerves will out. never be shared. Never be shared. <laughs> uh, and I'm glad we did that. But uh, even so, like having, having uh, Jillian come in for an interview, we were both quite nervous, but it was a good conversation. You, you both, uh, had some like interesting things to say and uh i don't feel like i heard the nervousness but uh, i certainly felt it in the room myself (laughs) even you know i'm not saying a word i'm just sitting here you know recording and checking levels or whatnot Mm -hmm. um and making notes but uh yeah it was still a bit nervous to do it the first time for sure but um we had a really great conversation though i think we definitely got into a flow Mm -hmm. and um you know it was really interesting to talk to her about the kind of why behind photography for her. Um, and as always, we kind of started with the um, origins of her creativity question. Right. So we got to hear about, you know, for Jillian, I think it's always been about both like building a community or finding a community through art making mm-hmm. and also um, empowerment and like what it means to hold power right. or express power or show a subject their own power yeah. <laughs> and kind of hand in hand with that is vulnerability like mm-hmm. those kind of exist on like a spectrum mm-hmm. and they're kind of like a yin and yang sort of situation where like I think when you first pair those words together they sound um, kind of mutually exclusive but in fact they're kind of interwoven right. yeah vulnerability and power yeah, it was it was cool to hear a photographer talk about capturing a couple of different elements, uh, both like trying to display power um, and kind of like enjoying being able to show her subjects their power, like in her mm-hmm, photography, mm-hmm. Um, and then also like talking about displaying her own vulnerability through the subjects as well, mm-hmm. uh, which I had never considered before. Like as a photographer, I mean, I've, you know, taken pictures of like landscapes and such, but like uh, when you're taking a picture of another person and like part of the element of like your, you know, artistic process of your thought is to display your own vulnerability. Um, it's, it's cool. Like it's, mm-hmm. uh, it does get all intertwined, like your own vul- vulnerability and also displaying 
their empowerment. Yeah, and I loved that the not magnum opus artwork that they chose to share with us um, kind of showed a totally different avenue of like that, the social part of that. Right. Um, because the photograph that she showed us, um, which you can see on our Instagram, mm-hmm. um, we posted it in conjunction with the episode. <laughs> um, the photograph that she brought, actually, she took um, kind of happenstance on the street. She was walking by someone and then her friend actually encouraged her um, to ask the person if she could take a picture of them. Right. And that sort of street photographer style is totally opposite of what she conventionally does yeah. in her standard practice of you know taking pictures of people that she actually knows pretty well. And so, uh, yeah, that kind of contrast in approach, I think was a really nice way to explore kind of the why behind um, who and how she photographs. Yeah, on her website, she has a um, a folder of just like her, her portrait work. And they're all like kind of different styles. Uh, and certainly uh, the not my magnum opus photograph that we're discussing is is different uh, mm-hmm. because it is, it's just street photography. Whereas like some of her other pictures really play with light and shadow like it is mm-hmm. like semi like st- or it, it is like semi-staged mm-hmm. to have those elements in it too so like i think for those the ones that i think she like would refer to as like ethereal with light mm-hmm. and shadow those do have like this power to them like when you're scrolling across at least for me like mm-hmm. there are pictures where like some of the face is hidden with the shadow but like the eyes are popping through mm-hmm. um to where it's like wow like that it just hits as like I don't yeah. know if it's like confident or like I don't know like as someone who's like slightly introverted like holding a visual gaze um, mm-hmm. is like intentional and it's it's powerful. So seeing her play with shadow and light along with like this bam moment mm-hmm. uh, is really cool because I don't know at least for me the shadow and like light are like these like small illusions. This is how I, this is, I guess how I read it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I should say, I don't have like (laughs) a a college degree in art or anything. Um, It's just how I read it is like those shadows. um, It's like these small illusions to like, there are other things in play that we're not seeing uh, Mm. that are just as like uh, well-defined and like can just as well be paid attention to. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, I think so. It's like um like a shadow uh kind of a shadow implies presence. A form. A form. Yeah, 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 yeah. And even if you don't get to see that form, you're seeing the shadow of it, you know, laid across this commanding picture to where like yeah, there are things behind the scenes that you're not seeing. Mm-hmm. Um it kind of um, represents like the internal world in a certain way. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm I'm definitely going <laughs> to mull that over this week. Yeah, me too. Well, with that, I think uh, we can go ahead and jump into our conversation. Uh, we hope that you'll enjoy hearing from Jillian about uh, her artwork. And as always, you can always check out a few of Jillian's images on the This Is Not My Magnum Opus Instagram uh, at This Is Not My Magnum Opus or follow the link to her website in this week's show notes. All right, 
Hello, Jillian. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today. I'm super excited to talk to you about your photography practice and also just um, your kind of holistic approach to art making and art making here in Frederick. Thank you for having me. I'm yeah. excited to talk about this. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, so I wanted to kind of start our conversation by kind of like grounding ourselves and kind of like your origins and kind of where you're coming from um, as an artist. So I'm curious, um, kind of your first experiences of creativity or if there's like a moment in um, kind of your own trajectory that you can pinpoint the first experiences of feeling like an artist. That's a great question. Um, I feel like labeling myself as an artist probably happened I would say probably in, in late high school. And then I say that I got good like at, towards the end of college. Yeah, for even sure. Though, <laughs> even though even though my work now is like very different from what I was doing at the end of college, which was in 2017. Um, you know, that's kind of like when I became good in my eyes. But um, what was your first medium? Was it always photography? Uh, it seriously yes like the first medium that I took seriously mm -hmm. um and I'm always surprised that I've managed to like continue with it to this day since I seem to get bored of a lot of things um <laughs> but um I guess you know like so many people like being really inspired by a certain art teacher that I had in middle school um mm -hmm. who was like you should take art class next year it was like one of those classes that was um like mandatory and then mm -hmm. it was like, you should choose to take art class next year. And I was like, okay. So, you know, kind of like a common origin story. But mm -hmm. um, I would say that I first got into photography. I really thank, like, the internet for this. Like, I feel like the internet, mm. um, like, I can draw a lot of, you know, uh, connections to, like, the age of the internet and my interest in photography. It's an embarrassing story. Like oh, I, I love kind it. of had hinted at, <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna be very vague. But when mm -hmm. I was in middle school, maybe okay, it was like or like freshman year of high school, late middle school. I uh, was very um, into a particular piece of film media, and <laughs> oh geez, I wonder what it was. <laughs> and. Um, it's one that's made quite the resurgence today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, I was, like, very into this thing. You know, I was just, like, young and, like, super into it. And so, like, I went on the internet and um, just, you know, did that thing where you're, like, really obsessed with something and you furiously Google, like, everything about it, which then led to artist-created, you know, we wouldn't call it content back then. But <laughs> right, right, right. But, like, art. Art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a great word for it. Um, but like on the internet, like photography and stuff that was inspired by this particular film that I was really into. Um, mm -hmm. and so basically I just saw other people's art and it made me feel some type of way. Um, mm -hmm. it made me feel like I could express, um, power, mm -hmm. um, which is still something that comes through in the, some of the work that I do today. Mm -hmm. Um, it made me feel like really powerful. And I, and I looked at the people in the photos, um, which were a lot of, it was a lot of self portraiture. I feel like self portraiture, um, is where a lot of photographers start. Mm -hmm. Um, and so seeing that I, I saw these people as like very powerful, very, um, very in charge of like the work that they were making. And it, it inspired me in that sense. And so, 
I was like, I want to feel that way. Like, I want to feel that way. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like, if I, like, I, I didn't really think about it any, any deeper than that. It was just sort of like, I want to make that, I want to feel that type of powerful feeling in myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I was coming from a place where I, like, didn't particularly feel very powerful in myself. You know, I was mm-hmm. in middle school. Right. Who and does? So, exactly. And so, um, and so that was definitely a way to sort of claim that and um, kind of force it to happen. So, um, that's, that's the energy I wanted to create for myself. And so, um, yeah, I started with a little point and shoot camera as Mm -hmm. most people do, uh, worked my way up to like a slightly better point and shoot camera and then eventually got like a real quote unquote digital camera. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, and, and so, yeah, that's, that's really where I started. (laughs) Nice. Thanks internet. (laughs) So then um, I'm curious because like if your origins were kind of um, like finding this community through the internet, like if photography ever became um, more a kind of like IRL, like in real time, in real life, like community sort of activity, Mm -hmm. because, you know, your work now, obviously, like we're about to talk about your portraiture Mm -hmm. that like totally involves other people within it so I wonder about kind of like the bridge between like the self-portraiture and like internet culture versus like where you're at now Mm. um with kind of you know scheduling shoots with like multiple people and kind of like making art in a different way for a different audience yeah I guess I really started to focus on using other people as a subject um when I when I seriously started to focus on that was um, probably in college when I was working on my uh, my capstone series. And honestly, that was really the first time I kind of worked in a series format, mm-hmm. um, which is like, I mean, it's a big deal for art, but it's specifically a really big deal for photographers. I guess I'm not very well versed in other art forms. So maybe working in a series is like, you know, very important for painters or something. But mm-hmm. um, that's a really interesting like connection that you just mentioned like the connection between like sort of like the age of the internet and using self-portraiture it's very much of like a but like even today like what's the word what's the word I'm looking for exhibitionism Mm, like (laughs) um, the word I'm looking for voyeuristic kind of kind of yeah yeah but you're like putting yourself out there Mm -hmm. um and so yeah I mean I guess I could even like really connect that to um like the sort of notions of, of power and vulnerability that I talk about in my work, like mm-hmm. putting yourself in a self portrait is that's extremely vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was, de- there was a definite shift with how I felt about portraying myself as vulnerable. And so I would, I would definitely like point to that as like a big reason why I started shooting other people. Um, mm. Like yeah. almost an avoidance of your own. Mm-hmm. vulnerability totally like yeah. the camera is kind of like a buffer and like mm-hmm. you get to like expose someone else's vulnerability or like be a different role mm-hmm. in that kind of like expression of power yeah yeah or my or I'm like channeling my vulnerability through someone else a willing participant <laughs> yes yes yeah. so um 
as you know, this podcast is about not magnum opuses, right? Like this idea that um, like small works or kind of beginning works or like the first iteration of something might not be the, you know, um, gallery worthy or like, um, I don't know, it might not ever hang on the walls of the Guggenheim, but there's something significant in like that process or that first iteration um, or a smaller work. And so this week, um, we're talking about um, a specific work of yours. And so I wonder um, if you could kind of introduce that work to us um, and kind of um, maybe in describing it, um, talk about how it happened, like kind of the context of how this image was created. Absolutely. So the photo that we're talking about is called Woman on Market Street, and it's um, a photo of a woman on Market Street. Um, The photo, um, it's a photo of a woman sitting in her foyer. Um, She's an older woman. She has gray hair. She's sitting in her pajamas, and she's smoking a cigar on a little folding chair, which you can't see, but she was sitting on a folding chair in her foyer. Um, And I would say, you know, if you have walked the streets of Frederick at any point in the past however many years you probably noticed her house um or at least you know this place where she is um there are christmas stickers on the on covering mm-hmm. the glass and i and i think that they were there at a not christmas time um this picture, they look like they've been there for a few years they really do <laughs> they're very faded um and this picture was taken in january of 2019 um yes it was 2019 And um, every single year, my New Year's resolution is to take my camera with me everywhere I go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so January, obviously, I was, like, sticking to it. Um, And I always, like, you know, I thought, you know, I'm going to be the person who just, like, takes pictures of people that I don't know. Like, I'm going to force myself to be that person. Mm -hmm. But I have such horrible horrible anxiety and like fear of being rejected by strangers that it Mm -hmm. it never happens like I've tried to force myself to do it and I've maybe done it like like four times and like my entire photographic career I guess um and so I am just always so scared of doing it but um I was with one of my friends and we had just walked by and my friend knew of this resolution and I had my camera with me um Mm -hmm. and my friend was like like you got to come back here and like see this woman that we just passed. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like <laughs> the, she, she looks really intriguing. And so, um, mm-hmm. you know, I like bucked up the courage and I, uh, walked up to her and I felt like I was really intruding because she was in her place, but her, mm-hmm. I mean, her door was open, but she was still in her place. And I was like, you know, excuse me, can I, can I take your picture? You just look really beautiful. And that's, mm-hmm. and, um, and that's like completely true. Like I, I walked, I, and I saw her and I was like, okay, yeah, she, she looks really beautiful there. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I asked to take her picture and she told me that her late husband was a photographer. So she was kind of used to being in front of the camera. Oh, um, interesting. and so, um, I was just, you know, shooting her through this door. And at one point I looked at my, I looked at my screen and I was like, okay, let me just get like, like slightly like an inch down, like, hold on one second. And she kind of like huffed and she was like, Okay. And I was like, all right, you know what? We're done. <laughs> like, yeah, I know yeah. I'm annoying you. So, um, <laughs> but thank you for the few images that you let me take. So, um, that's the story of this photo. Um, and I actually, it must've been sometime, it had to have been sometime during the pandemic, maybe last year. 
Um, I walked by and I actually saw her um, in the doorway, but she looked very much like in her own sort of world. And I, mm. I was too scared to say anything. I should have. I hope she still lives there because if I see her again, I'll say something. That's so interesting. Like the photograph itself, like because of the positioning of like you and these kind of double doors mm-hmm. that she's on the other side of, it really does look like you've kind of like caught her in mm-hmm. like a moment of like... Um, I don't know, not that she looks, like, guiltily smoking a cigarette. Like, she mm-hmm. looks, like, very, um, like, like calm, but mm-hmm. that she's in her own world. But, like, there's this, like, peak of the door that you're kind of seeing her through. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, to me, it's almost like, like, the doorways are kind of making visible, um, yeah, the kind of boundary between, like, the inner self mm-hmm. and, like, the self that... Um, you know, is visible to the outside world. Mm -hmm. And so it's almost like this, like, microcosm of portraiture, right? Of, like, um, in capturing an image of someone, you know, there's some level of, like, reaching for a selfhood, whether Mm -hmm. it's, you know, authentic or contrived or performative or um, more internal, right? But, um, like, I love that in this image, it's like you're kind of peeking through this door to, like, try to see her but Mm -hmm. even you know you can't even see her whole form she's kind of obscured by those doors yeah yeah that was um something about like the obscurity is that a word Uh the fact that (laughs) obscuring of the form (laughs) exactly um was something that had really intrigued me and that's i've always loved this photo and i mean like i guess talking about the physical um aspects of the photo like, it's not necessarily the lighting that I would choose to use today. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very much like, you know, it's like street photography. You know, you kind of get what you get, which is something that I don't really do. I don't really do street photography. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like this is like a really interesting blend of like the portraiture that I do do today mm-hmm. with street photography aesthetics, per se. But yeah, I feel I feel very lucky that she let me into her life for that for that little moment. Yeah, yeah. and I'm I'm also intrigued because um like you said that you've done the kind of street photographer sort of New Year's resolution like three or four times. <laughs> um but like that's kind of stands like apart from what your conventional sort mm-hmm. of like more um comfortable or familiar practices mm-hmm. as a portrait photographer. And so I wonder if you could kind of um talk to us a little bit about what it is about portrait photographer that you kind of reach for in your practice or what does it kind of conventionally look like for you if this is kind of like a different process that we see here in mm-hmm. this picture. Yeah, um well thinking about like how I wanted to take my camera around and approach people like I I guess the concept of that had always intrigued me but I've just like come to accept the fact that that's just not the work that I do Mm -hmm. like I'm definitely I'm in a phase of my life right now like for the better Mm -hmm. where I'm like realizing that I you know shouldn't try to have to like force myself to do things just because I think that it would have a great outcome Mm -hmm. um and so I'm like becoming very comfortable in like what I am actually comfortable with and like and how comfortable I am with the way that I create and so I told myself I was like I'm not gonna try to force myself so like this year my resolution was not that (laughs) so Mm -hmm. um yeah and so I told myself that I wasn't I wasn't gonna force it and so it's it's such a stark a stark contrast with the way that I approach photography now um I 
mostly photograph people that I know pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can kind of tell mm-hmm. by looking at the photos. It took me a while to notice it, but um, someone had told me that they could tell that um, when I was photographing, when I started my series of my grandmother, someone had told me that um, he could tell that the person who took the photo clearly loved the subject very much. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, I'm starting to notice that more now. Um, Yeah. And that almost like connects back to what you were talking about in the beginning of like your kind of origin story of photography mm -hmm. and like this vulnerability and power. Right. Um, I think when you know someone very well, you have a larger capacity to kind of share their vulnerability or like their selfhood Mm -hmm. with the world. And, um, yeah, I think that definitely comes through in your portrait practice, um, for sure. And so I'm curious about, um, like what you reach for in a shoot or if you can even like put to words, like your process, like, and even, you know, something like that might be unspoken or mm-hmm. like something that's hard to put into words, but if you could give it a shot, I'll I'm try. curious. <laughs> yes. That is a really hard question. Um, I think what I, I'm reaching for when I shoot is I'm kind of reaching for something ethereal. Um, I want the subject to, I almost want the subject to look um, like they are in sort of like a passing moment, even though a lot of what I do is pretty posed. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, I take that back. It kind of depends on what I'm shooting. The series of my grandmother is sometimes posed, but not really. A lot of the photos I take of her, I am just with her, you know, with whatever she's doing, and I'm just kind of shooting. She mm-hmm. always knows I'm there, and she <laughs> she tries to ham it up sometimes. But in, a lot of the photos I get from those moments are like moments in passing, like the sort of in-between. But with other my other series that I'm working on with um, of queer relationships, that is very posed, but I'm still... I'm still going for the same sort of ethereal um, feeling from the subjects. I mm-hmm. want them to feel. I want them to feel ethereal when they see themselves in the photo, mm. um, and I want them to feel powerful. That is something I tell all my subjects whenever I am like having them pose for the queer uh, relationship series. I always tell them I want you to feel powerful. Mm. I want you to feel I want you to feel like nobody can really fuck with you in this moment. And mm-hmm. and so that's what I and that's really that's what I tell them to do and 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 that's that's what I'm reaching for. Mm-hmm. That feeling of power um that no one can really tear them down um mm. and to feel ethereal and very light mm-hmm. and you know not not really, you know, tied to this to this world in that moment. I love how perfectly that ties back to this power and vulnerability, mm-hmm. like through line that like, you know, your origin story like points to, and then it comes through in this like different way mm-hmm. um, now in your, in your portraiture work. Um, yeah. I'm curious also about like, you're talking about like discussing these things with um, the people that you're shooting pictures of. Um, and that's, like so much different from, you know, this not magnum opus work that we started with. Um, but 
even just like I wonder if there's like a trajectory of like coming into your own and kind of like the coaching of your subjects or like kind of being in control of that like social dynamic or social space where you know um, you know, I think probably a lot of your subjects have kind of signed up for it. So maybe mm-hmm. some feel very ready for it. But also like the idea of photographing a queer relationship like means something in our culture in this day and age mm-hmm. that might, you know, feel scary or disempowering to some folks. And so I wonder like, yeah, your kind of feelings around like forming the sort of social space that you need to capture the images mm-hmm. that you're reaching for. Totally. Well, um, I feel like in order to successfully do that and to create that social space, I, I, I very much believe that you should be in the community or in the, uh, or in, in the group or, you know, somehow similar to the person that you're shooting Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I am gay, I have access, like very, mm-hmm. like a very, um, open access to shooting, um, the people who volunteer for it. And it is like a, it is a volunteer thing. Um, I have, I, I do reach out to some people and, um, mm-hmm. you know, and a lot of people have been willing to do it. Um, and then they'll, you know, I, I kind of put like a call out. And so, and so this is, this is an example of where, I would be okay with shooting people I don't really know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a sense, I do kind of know them because we're mm-hmm. sort of in the same community, in the same, you know, situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have had some people that were not, uh, you know, familiar with being in front of a camera, but not a lot of people are. Um, and, you know, it's always kind of had a really great outcome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and I feel like that's just because of... Um, you know, I, I tell people to kind of, you know, to feel that power. Like, I'm not trying to turn them into, like, supermodels or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. And so and so I feel like, you know, I feel like there's a beautiful result um, because of the situation that we're in. And because because of the, the, the theme of the shoot overall. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, I mean, the comfortability or the, uh, the comfort of the comfort of the subjects is, you know, is what's going to make a picture good. For sure. And I love how, um, like this idea of kind of the rogue photographer with their camera, like wandering around the city, like that's a very like Western, like white man, like version (laughs) of photography, Mm -hmm. right? Like in kind of the, like, I don't know, like, European photographers of like the mid 20th century who like made their name in photographer in photography right like that was kind of like um like the decisive moment sort of um philosophy around like carrying your uh photographer and like being on kind of like the edge of experience and like that kind of like yeah whole um romanticized vision of what a photographer is being like the authentic photography but then like your practice is actually totally upending that by saying like actually the interesting things around you are like these like vulnerable and beautiful relationships that like you can look closely at within your own community like you don't have to wander the streets Mm -hmm. of you know wherever you live to capture that Mm -hmm. you can just like look closely at what you know, relationships are around you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that specifically is something that, um, is, 
is taught like in an academic setting of photography. It's it's like shoot what you know um, mm-hmm. and shoot the people around you because that is where the photographer will probably feel most comfortable and that is where your subjects will probably feel most comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I really like your comparison of like the rogue photographer. I had seen um, something on the internet um, <laughs> recently with um, the uh, Roe versus Wade um, rallies and protests and everything. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and what I had seen was uh, someone had like tweeted or something. I don't know. And, and um, you know, the wording is not the most perfect wording, mm-hmm. um, but it was a photo of the crowd of people protesting and in the crowd was mostly women and uh, there were tons of photog- of male photographers shooting, like, you know, social yeah. issue photography. And here's all the people rallying for... <clears throat> here's all the people rallying, um, you know, because of the Roe versus Wade rulings. Oh and, and look at these male photographers, like, shooting the women. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and so I saw that, and I was like, I mean, yeah, like... Yeah, that's, like, pretty pretty nuts. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it yeah. it just made me think about, like, you know, vo- like, the idea of, like, voyeurism um, and sort of, like, exploitation through, like, street photography mm-hmm. and stuff. Like, that's a pretty, that's a pretty big issue. Like, mm-hmm. people shooting photos of homeless people. Right. Like, you know, messed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like, all kind of uh, seeking, like, an image that's powerful mm-hmm. and not, like, the empowering of the subject. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. Um, I'm curious because we were talking about um, kind of your um, presence in the community that you're shooting or exploring in your work. Um, and you and I have talked a bit about um, kind of the context of um, living and working in a small town versus living and working in a larger city, you know, like, um, so we're based out of Frederick, Maryland, which is not, you know, a tiny town, but it's also not a New York city or Chicago or Philadelphia even. So, um, like I'm curious, um, yeah, in the context of living and working in this particular place we find ourselves in, um, yeah, your thoughts and feelings around working in a place that's maybe unconventional for the art world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important to, you know, kind of keep keep pushing. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be really disheartening um, and discouraging sometimes to work in a place where maybe you feel like your work isn't really valued by mm-hmm. the people. Because, I mean, you know... In Frederick, whenever you go to Frederick, one of the first things that people will say is like, oh my God, it's such an artistic town. And mm-hmm. don't you just love like all the art and everything? And and it's like, yeah, I do. But whose art are you talking about? Exactly. <laughs> um, and so, you know, a lot of it, you know, there's a certain, there, there's a big group of, of people, like m- multiple groups of people, um, who are excluded a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're sort of, you know, forced to, uh, make their, like make their own success, uh, when there are sources in town that could, you know, 
give them that success. Mm -hmm. But either they don't know about it because there's such a separation from the artistic communities or um, they feel discouraged to do so. Mm -hmm. Or they don't want to because there's such a separation. Um, And I'm not saying that's like a fact. I'm just, you know, kind of hypothesizing Mm -hmm. here. Like I wouldn't blame um, some people for not wanting to, um, for not wanting to work alongside the artistic sources of power in Frederick is what I'm trying to say, because, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they feel like they wouldn't be accepted or, um, there, there's Mm -hmm. just such an imbalance of what's represented. Mm -hmm. Um, there's quite a status quo. There definitely is. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so, um, and, and so I, I try to push through like the mm-hmm. feeling discouraged. There and ha- I think you have like quite a, um, I don't know, history of projects that speak to like finding spaces in between those kind of pillars of power within, you know, some might say like small town politics, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Of like there being a few big wigs and like kind of, um, you know, that kind of determining what the kind of malleable spaces in the community are but then there's always this space to kind of kind of infiltrate that a little bit mm-hmm. um and I think if you want to talk about a couple of your um, past curatorial projects um I think that that can kind of um you know shed light on kind of this time and place of like working in a smaller town mm-hmm. um so in 2018 some friends and I um oh, well I kind of tagged on a bit late but my friends and I started uh an art collective called she they um which was based in Frederick and it specifically represented art um by queer artists and and also women we had like a very we had like a very long like specific sort of like list of identities that were accepted and you know looking back on it I'm like okay it was you know for queer artists and you know that's what that's just what it was and so um we had uh we had a few shows but what we did was you know we put out this call for entry we we had it like a sort of call for entry uh format we were like queer artists from Frederick and beyond like submit your work because there's not a space that would really do this. Mm-hmm. And so... Wait, so if I could interject for a second, mm-hmm. like, where did you do this? If, like, there was no space mm-hmm. for this to happen in Frederick, right? Because it's, like, this moment of infiltrating the system, kind mm-hmm. of, like, finding the weird holes in the wall yeah. where this can happen. So, um, you know, either, like, what were the specific places that you found this space in or, like what were the ways that you went about, like what was the mentality that like found the time and space to mm-hmm. like make this happen? Yeah. Um, so the, the first show that we had was at area 31, which is not there anymore, which mm-hmm. is, you know, another thing about, you know, Frederick art spaces is they're few and far between they're fleeting. But the first show that we had was at area 31 and that really was sort of the, like the launch pad like mm-hmm. um it was a legitimate gallery space and um with like re- a real hanging system it was like you know we could mm-hmm. have a full-fledged um exhibition in that space and you know have room to host people and so we were 
we were able to use that space because we had applied um, as sort of, um, we had applied as like a group show. Mm -hmm. Um, And so every month they would show a different artist. So um, we didn't have to pay for it. And that is the first, the first event that we had. We had a lot of people show up that night mm-hmm. and it was, um, we heard. I was there. It was very crowded. <laughs> yeah. It was very, very crowded. Um, and you know, um, the guy who ran area 31 had told us that that, if I recall, that was the, the, uh, busiest night that they had had. For it's almost like night. there's an appetite <laughs> for this sort of, hmm, you, don't you say. know, community <laughs> curatorial sort of, um, artwork mm-hmm. here in Frederick but yeah. um yeah so um so we had um artists from from Frederick we had we had a lot of artists from Frederick um we had some from Baltimore we had some from DC we had a, a, a few DC people come and it was like that event like has definitely forever changed me um mm. because it like it really is a testament to what is possible when you have some like determined people who uh, are not given what other people are given. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was really wonderful. And, you know, I think there's a lot of language in the art world and especially like the nonprofit art world about like how art can strengthen community fabric and kind of like activate shared humanity, like that sort of thing. But like truly grassroots projects like that, like still get me like, mm-hmm. like when I show up, to something and I can tell like almost every artist in the show is there mm-hmm. and they're there to talk to the other artists whose work is on the walls because they're like oh my god like you're saying something that means something so mm. important to me like that feeling around art is something that at least has motivated me in my moments of being like oh my god like the art world's you know either in my community or in our country or the the world right is mm-hmm. challenging a lot of the time but that feeling is um so so important and like so magical that it was kind of manifested in that project but there mm-hmm. were more after that one mm-hmm. as well yeah yeah there were a few more um we had we had done an event at 1111 cafe um which is also not there anymore mm-hmm. and so uh, you know you can kind of like you know, that could be a whole nother subject of, <laughs> right. of spaces to, to do good things, um, in Frederick. But, mm-hmm. um, we had another show at 1111. Um, we actually had two shows at 1111 and then we had two more community events. We had, well, we had a booth at Pride. Um, mm-hmm. and then we had a Pride after party, which was also at area 31, which was mm-hmm. also really <laughs> well attended. Um, you know, not to be like, Oh, we had great numbers, but, um, <laughs> But no, but, you but, did. but, but we did. But, and, but it also goes to show, you know, like something like this is, is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, a malleable yeah. space. Absolutely. For things like this to happen. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I guess like going back to talking about curatorial related stuff with she, they, a lot of what we had wanted to do was our goal was to give the spotlight to those who hadn't had the spotlight before. Mm-hmm. And so we weren't necessarily, I mean, all the work was really wonderful, but you know, mm-hmm. we weren't necessarily trying to find like, you know, the next best thing for mm-hmm. a museum. Um, the, the work was really, really wonderful. And, you know, it, it, it really worked out in that way, but we were um, 
more so focused on let's give these queer artists a spot on a gallery wall that will be mm-hmm. seen by people who may not have who may not have uh, have the opportunity to see their work mm-hmm. um, in another setting. So, yeah, it, it was a it was a call for entry um, type thing, and you know, we mm-hmm. we were very happy to have all that great work. Mm-hmm. And then um, you had uh, future iterations of curatorial work um, here in Frederick. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that as yes. well? Um, so um, the show Infinite Growth, that was exhibited at the Frederick Arts Council, um, the Arts Center building. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was sort of... I. I don't know if I'm like blowing this up in my head, but I feel like that was almost like a two year process to get that in there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it kind of had like different forms at one point and was more of like a small artist group show, um, which I, you know, had planned to be a part of, but then it turned into a call for entry, um, curated slash juried slash, uh, selection committee show Mm -hmm. um and that was really wonderful because we had um some members some queer members of the community um we had an artist from dc and we had um someone from the frederick center and then we also had a professor from hood look at the work and you know uh provide their guidance for me um with selecting the work for the show and that you know that did have more of a um, that that did have more of a an influence from the um, artistic merit of the work, but you know, still same underlying message. Like here are queer artists from the area and the region that you know need to have their work in the spotlight on a gallery wall in a legitimate arts place um in this case you know it's a very you know well-known arts institution in the area it's the frederick arts council and so and so you know that was um i felt really lucky to be able to have a hand in that and then i also of course i felt very happy um for the artists who were in the show to be able to show their work in that setting Mm -hmm. so i'm curious um like in thinking about um yeah you have these kind of two hats that you've been like dabbling in one more so than the other, but right. like your practice as a photographer goes back, um, mm-hmm. much further, but, um, uh, in kind of thinking about, yeah, your kind of creative practice as like encompassing both of those things and your time and place, um, here in Frederick, like, what do you imagine like the next chapter of your creative practice? Like, what are your hopes and dreams, mm-hmm. I guess? Like, and that could be as simple as, you know, more malleable spaces for mm-hmm. these things to happen. Or, um, you know, are, is there a next kind of curator or like cultural organizer project that's like a um, a pipe dream or like an aspiration? Um, or maybe you want to relate it back to your photography practice. Well, something that I have been like fantasizing a lot, a lot about recently has been joining or uniting or just making the groups more involved all of the separated or all of the separate groups of artists in the area. Mm -hmm. Um, I recently attended a meeting 
about, um, you know, what kind of, what are we looking for, for spaces for, to make art, like artist studios, you know, Mm -hmm. galleries, whatever spaces to make art. Because like I said, you know, and as any artist can really attest in Frederick, spaces to to do that are just so few and far between mm-hmm. um so you know there was a, a meeting with community artists um to talk about this you know this need this dire need mm-hmm. and i just you know couldn't help but notice that it was just the same people in the audience that is always there mm-hmm. the same people who have the shows the same people who mm-hmm. are represented in the galleries downtown the same people who have been here for years making art Mm -hmm. and it was just like so obvious that there was such there was a huge hole in the audience of that Mm -hmm. meeting or a huge hole in the participants of that meeting Mm -hmm. and so I just like ever since then I've been like how can I you know and how can I have a hand in like uniting all of these people in Frederick, all of these artists? Um, is it even my responsibility? Mm-hmm. Is it even like my place to do that? But I keep fantasizing about it and I don't really mm-hmm. know how, like I've thought like, should I reach out to the people that I know in these different communities and specifically ask them what they would want? Are they even still in Frederick? Like, right. There's such knows? turnover mm-hmm. because of the issues that, you know, yeah, we're talking about. And um, that's so interesting. Like I have found myself in similar meetings mm-hmm. in the past in like, and, you know, you might hear the same conversation in five different places mm-hmm. between, you know, your circle of friends who might, you know, represent a kind of like, younger population of Frederick, um, artists. Right. And then, um, you know, you might turn the corner and like overhear it between like a couple other folks that might be like better connected in the community. But I think there is like a seed of hope for me is that there's a recognition that between, you know, the escalating housing prices in Frederick, the lack of affordable housing and like the gentrification of like even like business spaces in Frederick, um, there's a resounding like um, consensus, I think, about the importance of spaces for artists. Um, so there doesn't seem to be a question about that, um, which is the seed of hope for me. Mm-hmm. But the idea of kind of like bringing folks together um, and kind of like reaching for change is certainly where it becomes more challenging. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's the thing. Like, it, it's such a it's such a big issue. With, mm-hmm. with uniting these groups. I feel like uniting is such a <laughs> such an interesting word to use, but that's what it feels like. And, um, and it's not going to be, like, solved by, you know, me going around to people and being like, oh, like, what do you want? Like, what would keep you here in Frederick? What would mm-hmm. keep you creating here? What would encourage you to collaborate with um, other, like, artists using different media or artists working in a different part of Frederick? Like, what like it's not going to be that it's going to be keeping things affordable it's going to be like giving it's it's going to be like the institutions like providing a space for and i would even argue like those moments of like small moments of like 
infiltrating a system, right? Like mm-hmm. finding the space for she, they, like um, putting up infinite growth, mm-hmm. like um, these kind of moments are those moments that kind of bring folks together. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if the space itself is not permanent, it doesn't make it any less successful, right? Mm-hmm. In that moment of kind of bringing folks together. Um, I know it's been like grounding for me as a resident of Frederick, seeing those things happen here. So thank you so much um, for sharing that um, with us today. I think we're just about at time. Thank you so much for joining us on the This Is Not My Magnum Opus podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I feel really honored and I um, feel really happy that I can sort of, you know, discuss slash event slash brainstorm (laughs) with you in this space. So thank you. Of course. For images and links to the artwork we discuss on the show, follow us on Instagram at this is not my magnum opus. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also leave us a rating or add a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Frederick's resident shoegaze band, TV. That's T-E-E-V-E-E, period. This Is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be part of the Could Be Better podcast network. Executive produced by Chris Perry and Colin McGuire of Could Be Better. This show is made possible by a Maryland State Arts Council creativity grant. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week. Do you like change? Do you love the familiar smells of your bedroom studio? Listen no further, friends, because the Could Be Better podcast is back and as disappointing as ever. Indeed, Chris, this season we are changing almost absolutely nothing. The show will drop on Thursdays and we hope to include guests. We'll also shamelessly plug any and all events of which we are part. So like and follow wherever you listen to podcasts or check out our website, www.couldbebettermeh.com or let's pretend this never happened. I know I will. Me too. And do not forget this could be better.